I am Mike Gorman, the voice of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to the Shoot Around. Okay, everyone, we are now live at the Palm Boston, and we are joined by uh, the Celtics play-by-play announcer for the last 36 years, the one and only Mike Gorman. Mike, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you asking me. All right, listen, uh, before we get started, um, we are recording in a restaurant right now, so don't be alarmed with all the background noise and stuff. But uh, and Nobody's drinking. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. All right, so let's get right into this. So, Mike, first things first, what made you want to get into uh, the broadcasting business professionally? Well, I went to college. I thought I was going to be a coach and an English teacher somewhere and major in education. Uh, ended up going into the military after college because everybody did at that time. It was Vietnam going on. Ended up in the military for seven years, and when I get out of the military, I decided I wanted to try to do something that would keep me close to basketball. Basketball was a, uh, always have been a passion of mine, and eventually I got to the point when I was a freshman in college where I couldn't compete anymore. So I was trying to get some way to get around it, and being a sportscaster seemed like a good occupation. So I went down to New Bedford, Massachusetts, and talked a guy into hiring me and got a job. That's crazy. So uh, how did how long was it until the Celtics came knocking? Oh, four years, five years. I was, uh, I did about a year and year and a half in New Bedford, and I, I did a little bit of everything. I sold. The, the ruling at the radio station was if you could sell it, you could do it. So I would go out and sell high school football, high school basketball games, anything so that I could do it myself and get experience. And uh, I was doing some games. A guy from Providence was driving through New Bedford on the way to the Cape, and he heard me, and he asked me if I be interested in coming over to province and being the public affairs director of all things but it was you know people told me you got to keep moving up market wise so i went to providence and i got a chance there to do the university of rhode island radio which the station happened to have the rights to but had nobody who could do it and i said well i can do it um and i did it i did uri for a year or two they're pretty good um and then the providence college people came to me and said would you be interested in doing us uh and so i started doing providence college Went from radio to the 6 and 11 o'clock news in Providence. And it was probably about a year, two years doing Providence College that I got a call from PRISM at the time, which was the pay cable TV out in Boston. And I tell you guys a funny story because it, 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 it's sometimes who you know, not what you know. Right? Um, when I was at Providence, they didn't have anybody to do color. So I said, why don't we call Tom Heinsohn? And, and we were at a meeting at a table like this, and they all said, oh, Tommy Heinsohn would never want to come down here and do Providence College. And I said, well, you know, we won't know unless we ask him. So I called up Tommy and, and I asked him, he said, sure, I'd like to do that. Uh, so he came down and for two years did five games with me, five Providence College games on TV. And at the end of that second year, he got hired by Prism to be the first color analyst for the Celtics on cable. And he said, you know, I work on a guy in Providence who I really like. Uh, did you give him a chance? And he gave me a chance. And 36 years later, I'm still here. That's incredible. So, uh, so, I mean, obviously, said 36 years, you've seen it all the, uh, the Fleet Center, the Bank North Garden, the Garden. What do you think's maybe the, uh, like the weirdest thing, most peculiar thing you've ever seen live? Uh, well, we used to sit in the overhang. We called it the overhang. Was that had, had a technique spanner underneath uh -huh. it. It was literally a gondola that hung off the edge of the first balcony. It was a wonderful broadcast location, but a couple of things were strange. When the building got really loud, and Celtics at the time, that was Larry Bird and that group, and the building got loud a lot. Um, the gondola would shake, I mean, it would visibly shake, so you had to hold stuff down. And all the rats that lived in the garden would come running out because of the shakes. So they'd come running across your feet while you were broadcasting the game. 
That's crazy. That was wow. That's that's as crazy as I wanted yeah. to get. <laughs> so, as a broadcaster, how plugged in are you with the team in terms of like trade rumors and like inside knowledge stuff like that? Well, I, I wouldn't say I'm plugged in. That'd be a stretch. Um, they understand that I'm not the media. I'm their television arm more than anything else. Tommy's their television arm. Brian Scalabrini's their television arm. So they can talk to us in a different way than they talk to the guy from the Herald or the guy from ESPN or the guy from the Globe. So, and I get to travel with the team. So I'm on the bus with the team. So I get on the bus and I sit down and coach gets on the bus and looks at me and goes, I want to go get a coffee before we go with Starbucks or something like that. So in that walk back and forth from Starbucks, I'll find out more stuff than the newspaper guys find out in 45 minutes of a press conference. Um, so, plugged in again would be a stretch, but I usually have a pretty accurate idea of what they're thinking and where they're going, and and so I can mirror that on the air. That's cool. So you have a unique relationship with the team. Well, it, it is it is different, you know, and, and some teams are better than others. Um, the Paul Pierce teams were the teams that I like the best. Uh, Paul is my favorite player of all time that I ever have been involved with as a, uh, as an announcer. Um, so those teams were fun to do. Kevin Garnett was a piece of work. Ray Allen was a good guy. Eddie House was a character. Um, they, they, they were all fun to do. They, they didn't win a lot, but they were fun to do. So, so on nights like tonight, say when we're playing on TNT, ESPN, are you doing stuff like this? Going to dinner, like, and I guess the national games kind of annoy you because you can't really call. Annoy is a good word. Yeah, yeah, yeah because they cherry pick the, the really good games, obviously, yeah. um, and that that's that's difficult for me. Um, but I mean, I knew that going in, and I don't have any control over that, so I don't get too upset about it. But yeah, we won't do like we don't do either Houston game this year, uh -huh. so we don't get to see you know the beard at all. Um, so that, that's a, a little tough to take. But uh, I mean, I'm glad I'm home having dinner, being with you guys tonight, as opposed to being in Washington. That's awesome. So we just talked about how Paul Pierce has been, uh, you know, your favorite player you've ever uh, get to see play live and get to talk to throughout your career. Um, can you talk about what you think the emotions are going to be like on Sunday when uh, he finally gets his number yeah. raised to the rafters, to the garden? Yeah, we're do, doing two very different things, which would be interesting. I'm hosting a dinner for about 250 people, uh, including all of Paul's entourage that he's bringing with him uh, on Saturday night, and we're going to kind of roast him a little bit. <laughs> um, and then on Sunday, it'll all get very serious and get very emotional. Yeah. So um, that, that should be fun for the weekend. I'm really looking forward to that. Kevin Garnett's coming in. Kendra Perkins is coming in. Uh, Rondo is going to try to make it in. Doc Rivers is going to try to be there. Uh, Doc will be there for, I know, on Sunday. I'm not sure he can get on Saturday. I think he has a game. He told me he might try to get two technicals early and get kicked out and see if he can make it <laughs> yes. up the Paul's thing. Um, but uh, Paul's just, Paul's a genuine kid. And I think the thing that I like best about Paul is I saw his first game and I saw his last game. Um, and to be able to go through a guy's entire career like that and see every game. Um, Again, for years there in the 90s, they weren't very good, so the networks weren't picking up their games. So I was doing 82 games every year. Uh, we, we didn't make the playoffs a bunch of years there, but um, that was no fault of Paul. He's a wonderful player. So kind of changing the topic a little bit to uh, back to broadcasting. How would you compare your short time broadcasting with Scal compared to all these years with Tommy? Like, What similarities or differences they have? Well, the biggest difference they have is that Scal is 50 years younger than Tommy. <laughs> Uh, and so he looks at the game through a completely different set of eyes. And also, the guys that are out on the court, there are guys coming by all the time when we're getting ready to do our stand-up open from the other team, slapping Scal on the back, saying, hey, Scal, how are you doing? Scal's like, oh, I played with him. I worked him out for getting ready for college. Uh, 
So Scal has a very good relationship with a lot of the guys who are on the court. Tommy's generation is long since gone from the court, and, and a lot of them are gone from front office jobs, and they're not coaches anymore. So uh, you know, Tommy's a wonderful dinosaur, but he's a dinosaur. He's 83 years old, um, and so he tends to talk to an older audience. Yeah. Um, whereas Scal talks to a much younger audience, and I'm just along for the ride. Yeah. <laughs> so going back to the whole broadcasting thing again. Do you guys, I guess, have a favorite like away arena that you broadcast in? Or Golden State. Really? Golden State is, even when they were bad, it was uh -huh. good. And now that they're good, it's great. Right. Uh, and, and they're leaving there in another year. They're building a new building, uh -huh. and it will never be the same. It's in Oakland. I mean, the whole experience is kind of a pain in the neck because you got to go over the bridge to get there from the hotel. And take, you're always going in traffic. takes about 45 minutes. Then you get there, and people do. It's the only city in the NBA I see that does it. They actually tailgate. Really? I mean, hundreds of people tailgate wow. before the games. Wow. So the, the bus kind of drives through a gauntlet of people, like, you know, throwing imaginary tomatoes at us and stuff like that. <laughs> um, and then you get inside, and, and, and the way the building is built, the fans are very close to the stadium, I mean, to the court. And instead of going back, it goes almost straight up. Mm -hmm. So you can be in the balcony, but you're only maybe 12 or 15 feet back from the court. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, That's so cool. It's, it's really cool. Cause the, and they, they know the game. They know the sport really well. Uh, yeah. They're right on top of you and the game the whole time. And ever since they picked up Curry and that crew, oh, yeah. it's just a treat to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, your time with Tommy and how you see, see uh, him addressing as a more mature audience. And you talk about Scal with a younger audience. But how I told Tommy he can't reference anybody who's dead. <laughs> <laughs> so um, my question for you, Mike, is uh, how have you seen the game evolve since you began your career? Like, yeah, specifically, both Celtics teams and the league as a, as a whole. Yeah, well, the league as a whole, and the Celtics are one of the uh, really aggressive people doing this now. It's, it's a three-point game now. It, it never used to be. You know, the whole object of the game used to be get the ball inside, get the ball as close to the basket as you can. And uh, that's why centers were centers. Power forwards were legitimately power forwards. There were guys who the center played right in the middle. The power forward was three feet off to his yeah. left. Yep. Now the power forward's behind the three-point line in the corner somewhere. And the centers are yeah, up on top of the key. So the game has become very much a perimeter game. Uh, Houston, Mike D'Antoni, who, who never got a whole lot of credit in his early years of coaching in, in uh, the NBA, has been an advocate of it for a long time. He's got all the pieces right now with Houston. And, you know, Houston's going to be a very good basketball team. Uh, they're, they're legit, and, but they also shoot 53s a game. Um, and so, you know, when I was growing up in, in – was taught the game of basketball. If you drove up the middle, you gave up your dribble at the free throw line and you tried to throw a bounce pass to somebody who was cutting towards the basket. Now, guys, they never give up their dribble. They go, in, they go underneath, they come back around. Steve Nash started that whole routine. Um, but they're always now looking to dish to the corners and get guys shooting threes. Um, so that's that's the biggest difference I yeah. see. It's a three-point game now. Yeah. So uh, I guess, do you, really, do you have a game day like ritual that you go through? Like, How do you prepare... I guess daily for each game. Do you like study that routine? Do you study the Celtics, or just take us through that? Yeah, I don't. I don't really study the Celtics. Um, I tell you a funny story, and then I'll tell you what my game day routine is. Uh, the very first game I did with Tommy Heinsohn, I showed up with these like a Manila folder, and I had the Celtics all listed down here, and the Indiana Pacers were the team we were playing listed over here. And I had scoring averages, and I used different colors, and I had like little bullet points, like one of five kids, father was a coach, or whatever. All that so Tommy comes in, let's say that's my notes right there. Tommy comes in the overhang, he looks at that, he goes, 
what's that? And I said, uh, that's what I'm going to use during the game. And he goes, we don't need them. <laughs> and that's threw awesome. it off the balcony. That's awesome. And I said, what are we going to do? He said, we're going to talk about what happens in front of us. And that's what we're going to do. And that's what we've done for 37 years, really, is we, we, we don't do a lot of biographical information on players. We don't try to tell a lot of stories about players. We try to talk about the game going on in front of us. So that makes my preparation easier. Yeah. Um, we have a production meeting. The TV crew will have a production meeting at about 10 o'clock in the morning, in the morning of the game. We'll do that for about 90 minutes. We'll go over what we want to talk about, what specific storylines we think are potentially there for the game. You do it with the knowledge that once the game starts, you kind of go where the game takes you. Yep. But that's your fallback position, you get in a blowout or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that'll go to about 11 o'clock. And then we, uh, I usually work out for an hour and a half, take a nap for an hour and a half, shower, get on the bus, go to the game. We, we live kind of a nomadic life on the road. Uh, we, we usually travel after the game. So we're, we're forever checking into hotels at three and four in the morning and then playing later on that night. So, uh, you know, there's a couple of things I learned earlier. Bill Raftery taught me that the only way that you can really handle a full NBA season is you, you treat the first day of the season to the last day of the season as one long day with a series of naps. And, and that's what I, I see guys on the bus grab 20 minute bus ride, they grab 15 minutes of sleep. Uh, so you lose track of time, your schedule becomes when are you going to sleep, when are you going to work out, when's the game. All right, so uh, you know we already talked about Paul Pierce being your favorite player. We talked about that 08 team and you know how they were a great team to watch. But can you give us your specific favorite Celtic moment you've ever called live? Probably I uh, bird stealing the pass from Isaiah on the inbounds pass in the playoff game. That's what I assumed it would be. But yeah, I just wanted to make yeah. sure. Um, yeah, that, that 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 was that's pretty much my favorite moment. We don't get to you. Know, it used to be we could go to the second round of the playoffs and then the networks took over. Now it's after the first round of the playoffs, the networks take over. So um, a lot of the big moments, I'm there as more as a spectator than I'm there as a player uh, or a participant, I guess would be a better way to put it. Um, but that, that particular playoff game, we were there and I remember that steal very clearly. Uh, there have been a lot of good moments. Paul Pierce scoring 46 points in the second half against New Jersey uh, on a Sunday. That, uh, Byron Scott was coaching New Jersey at the time. He just refused to double-team Pierce. And Pierce was like, if you're not going to double-team me, you've got nobody who can cover me. Uh, and scored 46, I think it was, in the second half. Uh, we, had, we had a lot of nights like that, regular season nights. There, I tell you, as, as much as I'm not particularly a fan of his, um, Isaiah provided some wonderful moments last year. Um, I, I've never seen an individual go through what he went through with his, the tragedy with his sister yeah. off the court. And, and his ability to step up in the fourth quarter and just make big shot after big shot and come back and uh, from going home to his, his sister's funeral and coming back to having the games he had when he came back. Uh, that was as remarkable, remarkable performance as I think I've seen by any individual uh, over the course of the year. Uh, but Pierce is still my favorite player. You have something special to watch last year. I mean, I, I haven't watched nearly as much Celtic basketball as you have in your life, but uh, you know, I thought it was a treat watching Isaiah play. It was. It was, it, was it, it was wonderful what he did. It was, um, I don't think he can ever repeat it. Uh, I think he's going through probably a rough time now, having been traded as we talked yeah. tonight to yeah. the Lakers. Um, maybe he'll be a fit out there in L.A. Um, but everybody thinks the Lakers just did that, really, and they'll dump him after this year when his contract runs out because LeBron doesn't really have any desire to play with Isaiah, and that's where the Lakers want to go next year. They want LeBron.
And I also just don't see how Isaiah and Lonzo are going to be able to coexist with, without, uh, unless you move Isaiah to the two, but then that's a, even more of a defensive liability than he already is. Yeah, the, 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 the problem with Isaiah is no matter how wonderful a game he plays, he still wakes up the next morning and he's 5'9". Yeah. And, and you're not going to build a basketball team around a 5'9 player mm -hmm. in the NBA, no matter how good he is, whether he's Calvin Murphy back in my day or, or Isaiah Thomas today. Um, they're, they're great during the regular season, but you get in the playoffs and the game slows down and guys get tougher defensively. And like it, Again, you can't change the fact he's 5'9". So you, you said you weren't the biggest fan of Isaiah's. Is that, is that a personal thing? Is that a something we're not allowed to talk about? Is it... it it's not so much something we're not allowed to talk about. It's just... I found Isaiah tended to treat us like we were the media, as opposed to whether we were the guys on the same bus with him. Right. Um, and so I, I just, I never warmed up to him. He never warmed up to me. It, was, it wasn't a specific incident. We didn't get in a rock fight or a shouting match or anything like that. Uh, we never really had more than 10 or 15 words. Uh, it just that he was kind of in his own zone and he preferred to stay there. Uh, once. I had, a, I had a very close relationship with the, the team that won the championship. Ray Allen I had known since he yep. was a freshman at, at UConn because I used to do the Big East games. So I had known him forever. Uh, Paul and I became very close quickly. Uh, Garnett's Garnett. Uh, Eddie House was, was a pal of mine. So they were a much a team that I kind of, Kendrick Perkins is a really good kid. Um, and they were a friendly bunch. And, and um, i tell you a, a story. Paul used to. I used to bang fists with all the players right before the game. Yep. And that all started with uh, Paul Pierce came to me one day and he said, he said, when you find out the names of the officials for me before the game, and when I come out, I'll come running up to you and you tell me the names of the officials. And then I can go over and go like, hey, Bob, how you doing? What's happening, Jim? Okay. So I'm like, I'm fine. So Paul would come out and before every game, he'd go, go run, run through the line, make a layup, come around the other side, and he'd walk over and he'd put his arm around me and I would tell him who the players are. Well. The other players used to see that, and then all of a sudden Rondo came by, and Rondo was like, hey, man, you know, and uh, then other players saw that, and then the next thing I know, he was just standing there and high-five all the players. But that that ended really when Paul left. Uh -huh. yeah. So I guess you see some sort of similarities with the OA team and this team in terms of, like, player-wise, like, likability. Like, are these like are these guys good guys, or are they, like, are they, they like... These guys are good guys. I, I think they're... Um, Kyrie is the leader of this team, but he's... He kind of has his own circle of friends outside right. the team. Yeah. And not in any way that he's snubbing anybody. Uh -huh. He just has his people. Right. Um, Al Horford's probably the intellectual leader of the team, but is a guy who's a veteran, who's a straight guy, straight shooter, who's not looking to go partying at night or whatever. Right. So um, these guys have a lot of good examples. Brad Stevens is, a, is a, as good a coach as I've ever been around. So they tend to be more a watch movies, play some video games, look yeah. at a lot of basketball tape, get to the hotel, order room service, go to bed, get up, work out, play the next yeah. game, and go on. Um, and so you, you like to see guys in a good routine like that. Um, but the, you can't really compare this team to, to 2008 because of Kevin Garnett mostly. Garnett was, he was a unique player. I've, I've never seen anybody like him. He was the best teammate I think you possibly could have. Yeah. He, he micromanaged everything. Where you sat on the bus, who sat where, wow. who did what. He micromanaged everything, but um, to his credit, uh, they won a championship. Yeah, yep, that's what it takes. It's that locker room leader. Um, so with the trade deadline being today and everything all that happened with Cleveland and I guess nothing with us, were you kind of surprised by the, the overall quietness after all the potential rumors of like Tyreek Evans, Lou Williams, stuff like that? Yeah. 
I think when Lou Williams was the guy that they probably were most interested in, and then when he resigned with LA, it was a little drop off to Tyreek Evans. Um, I think Memphis was convinced that they could get, will be able to get a first round draft pick for, and the Celtics weren't willing to give one up. Um, you know, the Celtics were in, Danny put the Celtics in a unique position with that Brooklyn trade that enabled him to move people around to try to be very good, get Kyrie, for instance, be very good right now. And also, the thing that most Celtic fans like looking forward is this is a team that will compete probably for the next four or five years. You know, with Brown and Tatum, we've got young players who are very, very good. In Horford, we have the kind of veteran leadership we need. And Kyrie's only 25 years old, so he's going to have a long, happy career here, hopefully in Boston. So um, it, it, it's really fun to work with these guys because I talk to a lot of my cohorts around the league, and their front office is tr trying to make the playoffs, really trying to hope to get out of the first round. Our guys want to win a championship. Oh, yeah. They can't win a championship. They, they don't care. Um, so it, it's fun to be to work with guys who are that driven. You know, So we look at the Celtics right now, and we say that's a pretty good team. Yet Danny this afternoon, probably at five minutes or three, was going like, yeah, I could probably trade you and yeah, you. Yeah. yeah, it's a business. we got to remember that. All right, so... Uh, can you, can you give us your uh, quick reaction on the Cavs, like what they the, did? Well, yeah, blowing up basically their entire roster, moving guys everywhere, trading yeah. Dwayne Wade for a bag of potato chips, like yeah. Well, uh, that doesn't surprise me. Um, Cleveland is desperately trying to show LeBron that they love him and that they will do anything they can to put the right people around him so that he can win. Um, if he leaves next year, Cleveland. When they made that trade, thought the Brooklyn pick was going. Everybody thought the Brooklyn pick was going to be bad. Well, Brooklyn turned out to be fairly decent yeah, right now. Yeah. If the draft were held tomorrow, Brooklyn, I think, is the ninth pick yeah, in the draft. So, what, what Cleveland had put all their eggs in that basket? That basket's not looking very good right now. So they're falling back on the position. Well, we got to keep LeBron here. Well, how do we keep LeBron here? Well, we get rid of all the people LeBron doesn't like, uh, and get rid of all the people LeBron doesn't particularly basketball-wise want to play with. Uh, and I think that's what you saw today was an exodus of people who didn't get along with the Bronx. Uh, now we'll find out. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw the highlights of the game he won last night with yeah. the shot in overtime yeah. Minnesota. Uh, you know, he, he's the greatest player I've ever seen, bar none. Really? Bar none. Better than Jordan. Uh, better than Jordan. By a lot or a little? Um, if, if you could have, if we were drafting right now and Michael Jordan and and LeBron with the only two on the table. Whoever gets LeBron gets the best pick. Yeah. LeBron's three inches taller than Michael, 30 pounds heavier, and can do everything Michael did, and he's bigger and better at it. Yeah. Um, you know, Le LeBron's a, Michael was a wonderful athlete playing basketball. LeBron's a freak. Yeah. You know, LeBron's 6'8", 260 pounds, no body fat. Um, just tell you a quick story. It, Sure. Officials tell us, tell me that off the ball, one of the ways that they call fouls is they can't see everything because there's such a tangle of bodies all the time. So if they see a guy driving to the basket and they see him move in the air, they assume he got hit. You know, because it just he was he wouldn't be moving laterally if the basket is that way. Yeah. So they'll blow the whistle and call a foul. LeBron is so strong that he plays through those hits, and so they never call fouls on LeBron driving the basket. And then you look at a replay and LeBron's getting hit, yeah, he's getting yeah, pushed. Yeah. And, but the problem is he's so strong, it doesn't interrupt his flight to the basket. So um, he, he just he just does things. You know, Brian Scalabrini tells me all the time that there, there are usually three guys on the court that are taller than LeBron. That probably one or two guys are way more than LeBron. But Scal says when he steps on the court, all of a sudden he dominates the game like a varsity player going to the JV. 
And the best player in the varsity goes to JV and plays on the JV. He's a man among boys. Every time. Every time. Uh, remarkable athlete. I I think gets a bad rap in the press uh, because other than mishandling his leaving Cleveland and going to Miami the way he did with that foolish press conference and everything oh, else, that's the only thing you can think of that LeBron's done wrong in 13 years. And you know writers have been right there ready to pounce on yeah. anything they can find. Exactly. Fooling around on the road, yeah. using drugs, whatever. Nothing. Clean as a whistle. So uh, I think people just dislike the fact he's so darn good and he's not playing for you. Because if LeBron were playing in Boston, he'd be the king of Boston. <laughs> he would, um, he'd be the king of wherever he goes. Yes. So speaking of that, your personal opinion, if you were him, would you leave and do you see him leaving? Yeah, I think he'll leave. Um, I think he wants to go one more place and you know he took Miami to a championship he took Cleveland to a championship he could become the first player ever I think to play on three different championship teams as as the dominant player uh, I'm sure there's some reserve who's done that but, right um, maybe Robert Ory Robert Ory yeah. comes to mind yeah. uh, you don't seem old enough to remember Robert Ory <laughs> um, but uh, yeah I think LeBron will go I think he wants to write one more chapter in Los Angeles would be a good place for him to kind of Grease the skids for what you might want to do. All I could hear on the TV today was how Gronk is going to go in, in the movies, retire and go to the movies. Uh, I think we'll see LeBron in a movie before, uh -huh. yeah, after his career is over. Yeah, yeah. When you say when you say LA, I assume you mean the Lakers, not the Clippers, correct? Well, I've heard both. Yeah, I mean Doc would certainly not turn LeBron away. Right. right. I, I, again, I think the the plan of the Lakers is to. And again, I don't think Isaiah is a long-term project of this. They, they, they can take the, let him go and pick up some salary cap. And they want to get George and, and LeBron together on the same team. Uh, and if Paul George has said he wants to go to L.A., he's up after this season. Uh, why would he stay in Oklahoma City? I don't know. I'm in Oklahoma City. I would certainly wouldn't want to stay there. <laughs> um, so I, I, think, I think LeBron definitely becomes a uh, Los Angeles player. Probably the Lakers, but if not the Lakers, could be the Clippers. But the Clippers would have to come up with one or two more people for him to yeah, want to go there. They seem all that appealing right now. Yeah. So assuming LeBron goes to the Lakers, do you see a Celtics-Lakers rivalry for the next for, for, our, for the foreseeable future? That would be terrific to have that again. Uh, I would love to see a Celtics-Philly rivalry again, too. Yeah. Uh, and I would welcome a, a Knicks rivalry. I, um, those are the fun games. I mean, it used to be fun to go to Philadelphia. You'd, you know, you'd see 75-year-old guys standing in the aisle yelling at Tommy Heinsohn for something he did in a game 30 years ago, you know? Yeah. Um, you don't see that everywhere, but you see that in Philadelphia. Uh, you see the same thing in New York. So I, I'm, I'm in the minority. The NBA doesn't like my ideas, but I, I would uh, I would go back to what we used to do, which is play the Knicks six times a year, play Philadelphia six times a year, play Washington six times a year. And, and build up rivalries that, you know, I mean, if you play somebody six times a year, by the third or fourth or fifth time you see him, you're tired. Yeah. You know? um, now, we see Houston twice a year. We, we're in the same division uh, as Toronto. We played them November 14th and then played them again last night. We haven't seen them in between. That's ridiculous. It's the I mean, NBA that, schedule. That's a team. Well, that's a team that you're going neck and neck with for probably the number one seed in the East. I, I don't think Cleveland's going to catch either one of them. I don't think... I think Washington's hurt with John Wall out now. So, um, you know, but to play twice in three and a half months when you're in the same division, kind of crazy. It's a little yeah. ridiculous. So uh, we got one final question. 
obviously it's been on the mind of everyone since opening night. Do you believe that we'll see Gordon Hayward yes. in Celtic Green? Really? I do. This I'll season. This season. This season. Before playoffs, during playoffs? I don't think they Let me tell you why. Now, I, I don't have any great inside information. Yep. This is just me. I know he works out eight, nine hours a day. Uh-huh. Uh, very hard. It, it seems to me he wouldn't be working out necessarily eight or nine hours a day very hard if he thought he was coming back in October. Right. You know, I think I think he thinks he can come back now. Uh-huh. I don't think the Celtics will let him on the court uh, until the, the doctors say he's 100%. But I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could become 100% by, say, the third week in March. Yeah. Uh, and then have him play in the last 10 or 15 games and play in the playoffs. Uh, if you listen to... Uh, I don't think Coach knows anything in particular. Coach, get mad at me for saying this on your show. <laughs> but um, whenever he is asked the question, do you expect Gordon Hayward to be back, he always says, I don't anticipate it. He's not saying no. He's not saying no. He never says no. He never says, I don't think so. He says, I don't anticipate it. Yeah, which is a real slide around the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So quick follow-up, and then we'll let you go, Mike. Sure. Uh, but, um, so assume Gordon Hayward does come back and plays the last 12 games of the playoffs. How far do you see the Celtics going this season? I, I think they go to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think Toronto's very good. I think we found that out last night. Yeah. Um, they're, they're not a fluke. Their bench is strong. Uh, they're extremely athletic. Um, and DeRozan and Lowry are guys who can drop 50 on you in the night. So, uh, And it's a great building to play in. The fans are very enthused about them. It's the best team they've ever had up in Canada. So uh, I, think, I think Boston and Toronto are the Eastern Conference Final, and I would tell you, I, I mean, in my heart, of course, I hope the Celtics win, but I think whoever has the home court probably wins that series. Yeah, game seven, crucial. Yeah. All right, well, listen, Mike, thank you so much again for coming on and taking your time to easy, join yeah. Adam and I. <laughs> you <laughs> hang around nice restaurants like this? Oh, yeah, yeah. we'd love to have you again. <laughs> but uh, all right, thank you I'll so much. I'll come to the palm anytime. Oh, awesome, all right. <laughs> thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been Nick Harbell and Adam Fairman signing off.